0: listening to Badass Lady Folk, a podcast about socially engaged women and NB Femmes kicking buns big and small. I'm your host, Christine Sloan Stoddard. The intro music came from the song Talking Hands by Toxic Moxie. And as I mentioned the last couple of episodes and will continue to mention for the next few more is that this is a reboot of my radio-free Brooklyn show, The Badass Lady Folk of Brooklyn. The show premiered in 2016, ran for a good year and a half, and then I went to grad school for an MFA in, get this, Digital and interdisciplinary art practice. For those who were wondering, what the heck I was doing with my time? Yeah, I went to the City College of New York. Go Beavers! Merit scholarships covered every dime. I had a studio space, equipment access, travel money. It was too good to pass up, but also really hard to run a podcast at the same time. So now, Quail Bell Press and Productions is producing this podcast for and about incredible women and non-binary femmes from around the world. Quail Bell Press and Productions is the parent company of Quail Bell Magazine, which you'll hear about again in just a second, because my guest this episode is Sarah Swallow, she, her, a writer, Quail Bell Magazine intern, and current english major at virginia commonwealth university welcome sarah hi this is so exciting to be here this is
1: my first podcast i feel very cool
0: <laughs> oh yeah well you are cool podcast or no podcast you're cool thank you <laughs> so much for saying yes <laughs> yeah. so sarah as i mentioned is interning for quail bell magazine this semester Sarah, could you tell our listeners what sort of work you've been writing for the magazine? Oh my gosh, I'm writing all of the coolest things ever. And um, one of the pieces I
1: worked on most recently was a review for the new Wink series on Netflix, which was very cool. And it was nice to just express my opinions and have someone else read them. That's like the biggest thing to me, like working for Quail Bell, is I will write something, and then I'll go on another website, and my name is there, and my writing is there, and it's it's very different to like the the college like situation where it's like I hand the, my writing to a professor, and it only stays on the piece of paper. But now I get to see it like somewhere else. So yeah,
0: incredible. you have an audience, and I think that show was a perfect pick for Quail Bell because the magazine covers the imaginary, the nostalgic, the otherworldly. And this is a show about fairies. <laughs> yes. uh, I founded Quell Bell back in the day when I was a VCU undergrad. And at first I used it to publish my creative writing, my comics, videos, and more. I'd publish my friend's work. I'd collaborate with other VCU students and also solicit submissions from around the world. Our very first submission came from Israel. Uh, back then, most f- folks actually found out about Bell through Craigslist. Ooh. So, yeah, Craigslist <laughs> of all places. So I'm curious how you, Miss Gen Z, found out about Bell Magazine.
1: Yes. Um, well, one of the things is I love small print, like indie, like art, because I'm a small-time artist um, myself. Like, I write my own poetry, have it on my own blog. But, like, so I'm really excited for all of the, like, not as large scale as, like, the New Yorker, you know, just working with them and being like, hey, people can do this too. You don't have to be some kind of elite old white man that's (laughs) in 60 years. Like, people are actually producing writing. Um, So that was one of the things. But I didn't even know Quail Bell existed until. I um, went to a special seminar for English majors at the VC's English department um, where my advisor like had a bunch of people come in over Zoom and basically say, hey, we need people. Please, <laughs> will you come and help us? Because, oh my gosh, we need help. And I met Gretchen there and she was talking about the magazine. And she was like, we talk about cool, crazy stuff, like the real, the unreal. And at that time, I was like, Oh my gosh, finally something that isn't just so so sad all the time. Talking <laughs> about news reporting. And I'm like, good, creative work. This is what I like to see. It's like a literary magazine. And I was just like, this, I need to be here. These are some cool people. I need to be
0: with these badass women. So <laughs> well, we're happy to have you. Yeah. So as Sarah was saying, Quail Bell and the VCU Department of English have a formal partnership that allows current students to apply for an internship and complete it for credit. Not everybody does that. Some of them are just like, hey, I'm going to do this. to write and volunteer and learn stuff and be part of a community. So we have dozens of students apply every spring, and it's been this way for the past few years. And only a lucky few are selected. Uh, We mainly look at writing samples. I mean, yes, resume and blah, 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 other stuff is important, I guess. But we care more about how you think and how you express yourselves. Um, And by we, I mean Gretchen, Gretchen Gales, who Sarah mentioned. Gretchen was my guest on the Badass Lady Folk podcast last episode. So if you didn't listen to that episode, check it out. Go back in time. Anyway. Anyway. So Sarah has volunteered to be my victim guest this episode, (laughs) mainly because uh, she was interested in discussing her Catholic faith and social justice since I said, hey, this is a podcast about socially engaged women. Uh, And I bet I was really fascinated by that pitch. So Sarah, could you talk about your upbringing as a Catholic? Oh,
1: yes, because I wasn't brought up Catholic at all. <gasps> what? You're not,
0: yes. a
1: uh-uh. you what? <laughs> nope, not a cradle Catholic? I just um, assumed
0: you were. What? No,
1: not a cradle Catholic. I am originally from Mechanicsville, Virginia, which if you have any familiarity with the like Hanover County, Henrico area, you would know Mechanicsville is basically living out a Luke Bryan song. Um, <laughs> That's, that's like the the kindest way I can put it there. I mean, there's some really sweet people in Mechanicsville. um, But it that's the vibe you get there. I mean, the place to be is cookout. All right, like the drive through (laughs) restaurant like that
0: is the hop in place. But (laughs) wait, so for listeners who don't know because listeners come from all over the place. Cookout is yeah. uh, originally a North Carolina drive through establishment, and they have really cheap, greasy, fantastic food, corn dogs and burgers and quesadillas and all kinds of things. Uh, they are in Virginia and some of the other southern states as well. But anyway, that's what Cookout is. <laughs>
1: yeah. And it's
0: like the only place that's open
1: past like 9 p.m. When all of Mechanicsville like closes down, so that's one of the reasons why it's such a hopping place. But anywho, I was raised in a very Protestant area, very non denominational Christian, and I went to a almost mega church, um, which I won't name here just because I have some issues with them. And yeah, I, yeah. I, I ain't trying to get like yeah. yeah, The screen, but, um, uh, but I went to that church for a little while and my parents aren't even religious. I just went because I enjoyed church. I liked singing. I'm not a very good singer, but I liked singing at church because the music was so loud. I couldn't hear myself, but I could sing my heart out. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, I had a couple of friends who went there and it was just a nice experience just to be with people. And they always talked about love and, then there were moments where i said oh we're not really loving our neighbor here um i don't like that. And so my one of my friends, her name is Megan. She took me to a Catholic Mass and she was at she went to the same church with me. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was not Catholic either. She was born and raised in this non-denominational, like fog machine, strobe-like <laughs> kind of church. Okay. And she was like, Let's go to Mass. And so we went to Cathedral of the Sacred Heart in the Diocese of Richmond, which is now a 10-minute walk from my house. Um, and we went there for a Christmas mass and I, I, it totally changed my perspective because I was like, I didn't know people could do church like this. And I was like, Whoa, like, it's so serious. People are like praying instead of just like on their phones, sipping coffee while the, while the like priest is talking. What? It totally blew my mind. And so I was hooked. I was like, we need to keep going to mass. This is way too fun. And at that point, I didn't know that you had to go to special classes to become Catholic. And so I was taking communion the whole time. (laughs) And like, I'm like, yeah, I'm Catholic. And (laughs) (laughs) yeah, this is great. Free wafers, all this wine. I'll take it. (laughs) That was a
0: big shock is that they used actual wine for communion. (laughs) I was
1: like, whoa, whoa, (laughs) whoa.
0: Oh, yeah. Okay. okay, So you went to Sacred Heart, the one that's basically in the middle of the VCU campus. Yes. yes, Okay, so listeners, this is a gorgeous church. I believe it was started around 1900, 1910, somewhere around there. Um, Is it the seat of the Diocese of Richmond? Or it's one of their main parishes anyway. Yeah, it's it's one of the main parishes. And they Um. have a crypt there. They Mm -hmm. They even have a little museum and Well, at least they used to. I don't know anymore. Yeah. Several years later, they might not. But they used to have a little museum all about Catholicism in mm-hmm. Virginia. Um, yeah, but anyway, for those who one day, when there's not a pandemic, go traveling and decide to visit, uh, I highly encourage you to go to Sacred yeah. Heart. Anyway, so Sarah, you went, and at what point did you realize you had to do, uh, what's it called? RCIA?
1: Yeah, RCIA. Um, it was the point where the priest, like, lifted up the Eucharist, and he was like, this is my body, which is broken for you, and he just broke it in front of everybody, and I was like, oh my gosh, because the way that I was used to doing communion at my church was we would pass the plate down, and it's like these, like, little cracker things, and no, we didn't, like, all take it together. We just took it on our own, and you could, anybody could walk in and take communion, but, like, They, it was, it was a whole process here at the cathedral. Like you had to stand up, walk down to get it. And I was like, whoa, this is very serious. And I, I appreciated the seriousness because I was used to church being like, yeah, just do whatever feels good. (laughs) I was just like, okay, I kind of like this structure. And so I went to RCIA classes um, a week later. And then I was confirmed on May 20th, 2018, which was Pentecost. And I was the only young person. It, I had just turned 18. I was the youngest person in my RCAA class to get um, confirmed. The, the, the next youngest person was 45. So Ugh. I had a great time in those RCAA classes, hearing lots of older ladies talking about older lady stuff. And I was like, yeah, knitting. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> oh, no. Getting into college.
0: So, so did you know much about why most of these people were converting at this time in their lives? Because often I hear about people going through RCIA because they're getting married, uh, they want to marry a Catholic, that Catholic wants to get married in the church, you kind of have to do this, it's almost impossible not to, <laughs> but why, why would a 45-year-old plus person be doing this? Yeah. So
1: it was actually because they, their mom had started to really come into her faith again. And she was like, well, I, I want to be able to take communion with my mom. And, um, so she went to RCIA and her mom's response and it was very beautiful. Um, and some of the older people that were there, they were like, well, you know, I, I hated religion for the longest time. And I don't know, there was just something about the parish here and all of my friends came here and I just really want to be with them. And they talk about this place and they talk to me about God. And, you know, this just seems like a great place to be. And I want to just make a home here. And I was like, that's so awesome. Me yeah. too.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that seriousness that you mentioned before and just the ritual um, mm-hmm. that's so present in Catholic mass, I, I, I find attractive too. I never converted, but um, as I mentioned to you in show notes, as we were getting ready for this episode, my husband's Catholic, mm-hmm. my mother is Catholic. I wasn't really raised as anything except to believe in God and try and be a good person. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Me too. <laughs> But there, yeah, there is this mysticism. I don't even know if that's the polite word. That's probably insensitive. But all the ritual is so alluring. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. And confession was the thing that really did it for me.
1: Even though, like, I was terrified of my first confession. I was like, I have to go in there and tell this old man, like, everything. But, like, the way that people talked about confession and they were just, like, so relieved afterwards. And I was like, I, I crave that relief too. Um, and after my first confession, I was literally just smiling so hard when I came out of the um, little like confession booth, whatever. It's actually, it wasn't a booth. It's more like a, there's like a little room and then there's a chair or a little sheet that you can sit behind. So I usually sit in front of the priest. Well, the priest now at the cathedral because I love Father Tony and I'm comfortable with him. Um, but at my home parish this guy was older and I didn't know him at all and so I was like please don't look at me because I'm scared you'll look at me at mass and be like oh I know what she did and but now that's not even a thing for me anymore confession is very very much a therapeutic kind of thing though I do have a therapist I will say that (laughs) our priests all the time will say confession is not therapy please do get a therapist we will help you get one but I, your priest, am not your therapist, but I want you to get help, so.
0: Okay, so I wanted to clarify something. So when your friend took you to Sacred Heart for Mass, were you still in high school? Had you started college? I was still in high school. I wasn't even 18 yet. Ah, okay. So by the time you started at VCU, you had finished, you were officially a Catholic. Yes. Okay. Okay. You were confirmed. Mm -hmm. Got it. So did you start, you mentioned another parish. So was there, you don't have to name names. (laughs) So (laughs) you started going to, you chose another parish other than Sacred Heart for confirmation or how did that work?
1: Yeah. So this parish was just closer to my house. Like I said, I lived in Mechanicsville. I lived with my parents at that time and I didn't really feel like waking up, Or going to Mass, or not Mass, RCIA on Wednesday nights at eight o'clock and having to drive 20 minutes there and 20 minutes back. So I just chose that was a 10 minute drive from my house, which I didn't even know existed until I Googled it.
0: (laughs) Yeah, because you were surrounded by this evangelical culture, right? Like I imagine it would have been really hard in your hometown to not get involved in the evangelical community in some way that there was just this social pressure that that's where that's where families went or at least that that's where kids were dropped off by their parents to go and make friends
1: (laughs) Oh, absolutely there are three main churches in mechanicsville and almost every other person goes to one of them so
0: uh, okay so listeners sarah alluded to it mechanicsville is a small-ish town like 20 30 minutes outside of richmond yeah yeah would do you think it's more suburban or rural or exurban? like what how do you describe it i've heard different interpretations yeah so there are definitely wings of Mechanicsville that are very suburban. I lived in the
1: suburbs. I lived uh, like a two-minute walk from Target, um, <laughs> but my friends would live in uh, Old Church, which is the middle of the sticks. Where if the wind blew too hard, they would like lose internet. So, like, <laughs> so Mechanicsville is very weird, like that. It's suburban, but also people were like working on a farm with, since they were twelve, like driving, like, trackers and stuff, so.
0: Yeah, yeah, so for listeners who are not familiar with the Richmond area, um, yeah, Mechanicsville is definitely smaller and more conservative than Richmond. Richmond often surprises, uh, Brooklynites, I've noticed, (laughs) or, or New Yorkers (laughs) in general, like, when I have brought friends down to visit, um, or even just shown them things uh, and and told them about different rituals there or different events. Like even First Fridays where the art galleries were open the first mm-hmm. Friday of the month just blew their minds. They're like, what? Isn't that some southern backwater? I'm like, well, first of all, that's a really elitist northern thing to say. Mm-hmm. But anyway. Um, That has nothing to do with your, your Catholic journey, which is so fascinating. I really just assumed you were a cradle Catholic. Okay. So when you started at VCU, was your idea just like, I'm going to keep on with this Catholic thing? I mean, were you very intentional about it? because it was new and exciting, were you kind of tempted to fall away from it in any way because college was also new and exciting? (laughs) Oh my goodness. I mean, college was definitely new and exciting, but I was also a
1: commuter student. I never lived on campus, so it wasn't as like exciting as it was for some people. Not to say like commuters don't have fun too. We definitely have fun, but we just drive home at the end of the day instead of going
0: back (laughs) to our doors. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. They're not the same kinds of distractions associated with going to college. You yeah. have them at but home or some other that, place. Yeah,
1: but I will say that I stuck very close to my faith because like, like we said, like Mechanicsville is a very like, it's a churchy kind of place. So church yeah. is like a normal thing for me. Um, and I loved being Catholic. I loved just learning about the history of the church. Mm. And one of the things that just blew my mind was how much they actually cared for people. Though I know a lot of people will say that like, oh, the, the church doesn't and I'll be first in line to criticize the Catholic church for everything that they do to abuse people. Mm-hmm. I will be right there chastising a priest um, and protesting them. But um, the church has also done a lot of good Yeah, teaches a lot of good things. And that's something that I really loved was the the goodness that was in their teachings, though not always
0: in practice. Right, right. So how was social justice brought up in your confirmation classes?
1: Um, There was actually a talk that we attended. Um, I don't really remember it. because I wasn't super like on fire for it. I was just more about like learning the history and the theology. I was a super theology nerd. I was like, whoa, so this dude said this about God, but this guy said something else. But um, (laughs) we had a... Yeah. We had a talk where someone from the diocese came in and basically said, so if you didn't know, the Catholic church has all of these things called social justice teachings in which we believe like helping poor people. And like they said it very specifically. And we were like, we believe in helping poor people, not just by going on mission trips, but like supporting the poor here at home. And that was a very different narrative than I had heard at um, some of the evangelical churches i had been going to, which is like, there, you just need to help people overseas, which is a form of colonialism and white savior complexes. Um, and so, just hearing that that they cared about people who were true, who were literally their neighbors, um, yeah. really made me feel comfortable in that environment. Being like, okay, this is a place where I feel like I can vibe with. You know.
0: Mm-hmm. Were there? I I don't know that much about confirmation classes, especially for adults. <laughs> yeah. Were there opportunities to volunteer or fundraise or do anything that would have had an immediate impact on the community to help poor people or people who were struggling?
1: Yeah, one of the things that sticks out to me, this was three years ago, but there was a prison, they had a huge prison ministry. Um, Our priest was like one of the main priests for the the jail that was closest to us. Um, But what they would do is they would just go in and sit with people in prison and just basically be friends to them um and that kind of thing and they would do different kinds of workshops i think with some of the inmates and i was like whoa we're talking about people in prison whoa because that's (laughs) my experience people were like no we should just put people in prison but they were like no let us go to the prisoners and minister to them and i was like whoa this is some real social justice here (laughs)
0: Yeah, no, that much must have been an absolute culture shock. <laughs> oh, it was! It definitely was. So, did you get any backlash from people in your hometown when they found out that you had converted? Oh my goodness. You yes. papist. <laughs> oh, you traitor. <laughs> that they would call me They like, believe in saints, not God. <laughs>
1: yes. They would be like, "You pray to Mary and you worship saints. You're not a real Christian. You just worship the pope." And these were things for coming from people that like I had grown up with and like had gone to Sunday school with and stuff. Um, And I was like, okay, first of all, you're totally not understanding this. And I would explain it to them and they're like, well, you guys don't even like use the Bible. You guys just use like the church teaching and tradition. And I was like, "Um, that is very much incorrect. Let me show you my catechism. Oh, I carry my catechism with me everywhere to just pull (laughs) out and be like, you see how they're referencing like John chapter whatever. Yeah. So you're telling me that they don't use the Bible in the church. Mm, That's interesting. So I had to like brush up on my theology and basically become a mini apologist to like explain to a lot of my peers, like the gigantic misconceptions they had about the Catholic faith.
0: So where... Huh. I'm just curious how this criticism and this bullying came out. Like, would you see someone at the supermarket or would they text you or was this a Facebook message or what? How did this happen? These were actually like
1: my friends, like in person. They were never like adults, I don't think. Or the adults will never say it to my face, um, which is like a passive aggressive thing. I imagine that they probably did talk about it. But my friends who were big time evangelical christians who are like i'm going to bible college and all that kind of stuff they were like what the heck sarah like you love like going to church and now you're catholic and they would be very confused and they would try to engage in all these debates with me and i would still go to bible studies with them because they are my friends but they would just be like yeah but we don't want to listen to like this comment that's a that's a catholic perspective and i was like what do you mean i'm a christian too like what the heck so there was definitely a little bit of bullying there for a while until I just said peace out to that friend group and found different people.
0: Yeah. So did you tell, I mean, before you pieced out with that friend group, did you tell any of these friends about things like the prison ministry, for example? And if so, how did they react to that?
1: I definitely did, and they were like, Oh, well, that's all great. But their main thing was abortion. That's all, like, that's the only topic that most evangelicals care about is abortion. And not to say the Catholic Church doesn't believe in it, some priests are a lot more adamant about it than others, um, and put like weights on whether or not you can be a real Catholic if you support abortion legislation, like we see with Joe Biden all the time. Um, But that's the only thing they really cared about. They were like, well, what about pro-life stuff? What is your churching for pro-life? And I was like, we do a lot of things for pro-life. We like support like mothers um, who are struggling to feed their kids and stuff. We're supporting women's shelters. And they're like, okay, that's great. And that's all they cared about. They didn't really care about like us doing, unless it was something out of the country. If we like, they were very interested in like the Haiti uh, partner church that we had. Um, but they didn't really care about anything that was at home. Or if they, they, I mean, they might've cared, but they weren't enthusiastic about it. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Me too, me too. (laughs) Uh,
0: (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, now with the pandemic, I'm wondering what sort of things you're doing with your parish. Does your parish have, any kind of online presence are they doing things in person but in small groups or how is that how is any of that working right now oh my gosh oh and today's ash wednesday listeners this was revealed to me prior (laughs) just prior to recording this episode it is indeed ash wednesday so what a perfect day to record this episode okay so what what is going on like what did your parish do for ash wednesday So I currently just attend uh, Sacred Heart, and let me just say,
1: Father Tony is very strict about COVID regulations. He takes it to the, like, utmost degree of safety, and that is the only reason why I feel comfortable going to mass in person, because I also have panic disorder, and so being in large crowds and things like that, especially when there's, like, a virus going on, makes it extremely like terrifying for me, but because I know that we are very much aware of social distancing and masks are absolutely mandatory. And they, if they are taken off in the building, they, you'll be asked to leave. Um, so we take it like super seriously, um, but we have masks in person and um, we have small events but you have to register and there's a cutoff for how many people are allowed it. And, and at the beginning when I was an usher and we had to close the doors to people for not coming to mass because we were at capacity, some of the people got kind of mad um, but luckily we don't have that issue anymore. But um, it, it, was very, it was very weird to like close the doors to the church at times. Um, but like things at CCM or the My Campus is Catholic Campus Ministry, um, we have some in-person events. I'm actually in charge of leading all of the small group Bible study leaders and training them. And um, we are all on Zoom. So we do almost everything for campus ministry on Zoom, just because there's a lot more of us. Um, so it's just easier for us to coordinate over Zoom. So we have like some in-person stuff, but mostly Zoom.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. So how does one enforce social distancing in the church? You talked about registration. You talked about closing the door in people's faces. But do you close off, like tape off pews or what?
1: Yes. So we have sections. Uh, It's, I think all, like every three pews is sectioned off. Um, So there's like a very wide gap from people who are sitting in front and behind you. Um, and I've actually been an usher, so I had to seat people accordingly to social distancing rules, and we can, it, there's usually only two to three people in a pew um, just to keep them all separated, unless they're families, and we'll, we'll put them all in one row, um, yeah. but we, like, we use the entire church, like, we have overflow seating to keep people, like, socially distanced, um, so we keep people separated by, like, the lengths of the pews, like the pews are kind of divided in half by a, a wooden divider that was there before COVID, so we'll just like have, you can have this half, and then you can have this half, and people, people pretty much social distance themselves, but gonna- <laughs> like, can you scoot down, please? You're
0: too close, but. <sighs> okay, but then what is it called? Exchanging the piece? The part where oh, you like normally yeah. hug or shake hands. Oh, yeah. So, um, what's going on with that? <laughs> So Father Tony, or this is how it is in
1: our diocese and how it is in a lot of churches too, is um, you just look at people and you, I make a peace sign because I'm, I'm Gen Z, I'm cool like that. But sometimes <laughs> people will just like raise their hand and be like, peace be with you, peace be with you. And you're not supposed to hug. And our, our parish holds hands during the Our Father, but we don't do that anymore. We just raise them up. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, we don't touch anybody anymore just ourselves we're even if you're like with a big family they ask you not to hold hands during the our father just to try to keep people stop touching things so
0: yeah yeah okay and then the big question commun- communion what does communion look like right now Oh my gosh, it was very scary at the at the beginning of the pandemic because there
1: are these big plexiglass tables at the front, right beneath the altar, um, and our priest will stand behind them. And there's like a little slot underneath, and you stick your hands out. He like drops the Eucharist into your hand without touching you, and then you go to this little like triangle tape thing on the floor. You move your mask down, eat the Eucharist, put it back on and move. And then you go and you sit and there's no more communal wine or anything. And if you want to receive communion on the tongue, because some people do, you have to be the very last people in line and um, the the priest will actually come out this uh, like side of the plexiglass and like kind of lightly drop the communion in your mouth without
0: trying to touch you so Whoa, that's some engineering. Oh, yes. <laughs> it was, I, it was I so crazy. Huh. Wow. Do you feel that it's safe? I do feel that it's
1: safe. Um There are moments where I'll hear older people coughing and that's just because of my anxiety where I'm like, oh gosh, do they have COVID? But, um, and I'm like, please don't have COVID. I, I'm, I'm too poor to have COVID right now. I cannot deal with that. I got to finish this degree, um, but it is very safe. The church is very adamant about keeping people safe because we, we really want to be in person and we don't, we're not even allowed to sing during. Um,
0: uh, yeah, I was going to ask about that. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I realize that Virginia's numbers have been relatively low. Yeah. Um, I mean, when you consider the fact that Virginia as a state has about the same population as New York City. I mean, obviously, New York City is much denser. Uh, yeah. But the the infection numbers are just not the same. They're not even close. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. Oh. They're not even close. So I imagine just by gathering in, in small groups where there's some at least some observation of these rules, um, or these recommendations, I should say that that alone cuts down on the risk and the risk isn't even as high as it is here in New York anyway. <laughs> and it's very different from the evangelical churches that I'm
1: familiar with where they don't enforce social distancing anymore. And I've heard that a lot of people don't wear masks anymore and they just, they don't really care about like counting how many people are in a room. And um, yeah, I'm happy that I don't go there. And that's a big thing in in Mechanicsville, specifically in conservative areas, um, is like they're big anti-maskers and stuff. But our priest today during his homily literally said that the mask is a symbol of love just like how these ashes are a symbol of like, our devotion to God, wearing this mask shows that you also care about your health and the health of others.
0: And I was just like, Father Tony, oh my goodness. Yeah, that's beautiful and right on. I mean, there is a long tradition of uh, democratic Catholics, uh, just blue Catholics that has been around for i guess as long as the catholic church has existed in the united states really Mm -hmm. um but with evangelicals it's just the opposite a lot of trumpers (laughs) a lot of it's just very red in comparison whereas the catholic uh catholic americans are are split and they are a little bit more blue than red and Mm -hmm. depending on where you look in the country um Some of the Catholic spots are super blue. (laughs) Absolutely. And usually the main thing that divides Catholic
1: voters is abortion. Right. Um, Like a lot of Catholics would come out and criticize Joe Biden, who is himself a very devout Catholic um, and say, well, he supports abortion like policies. He I can't vote for him. And that's a huge thing in the Christian community is single issue voting. In which yeah. Christians are basically instructed from the pulpit to only vote for pro-life candidates. Who are pro-life candidates? Republicans, conservatives. So, pro-life, I think that's the narrative is like that.
0: Yeah, and pro-life with a single definition of pro-life, which is yeah. that pro-life only relates to abortion and not like you were mentioning before helping your neighbor making sure people aren't hungry helping single mothers helping women in shelters like helping helping people actually live and have yes. a life yes. <laughs> Should would be pro-life <laughs> exactly we are
1: pro-life from womb to tomb but it seems like, like evangelicals are
0: like just have the baby so <laughs> that's it no support after that Okay, so you did mention that you are part of uh, VCU's Catholic group, that you have been doing these Zoom Bible studies. Is there anything you'd like to talk about um, regarding this group during this time otherwise? Like how do you think the students are coping and helping each other and does faith just strengthen their bond? Um, I would say there are moments where everyone is just like,
1: I don't want to be on this call right now. Like when I'm going to do like our, our weekly meetings where I check in and talk about the lesson for the week. Um, and everyone's just like, I don't want to be here right now. I've been on (laughs) Zoom all day long. Can we just make this quick? And I'm like, yes, because I am tired and hungry. So we will make it quick. Um, but then there are some days like last Sunday, when we have our meetings, um, we just talked about the reading, which, and we did Mark chapter four. And there's this section there where Jesus is asleep on a boat and there's a big storm coming and, um, all of the apostles are on the boat and they're freaking out and Jesus is just asleep and they wake (laughs) Jesus up and they're like, Jesus, the boat is gonna like explode, wake up. And he's like, why are you guys bothering me? It's okay. And he just quiets the storm. And then we were all just sitting there. We're like, dang, I think we're waking up, we're waking up Jesus right now. Like We're like, we all know that we're going to be fine. All of us have food. All of us have shelter. All of us have people around us who love us. We're like, we're going to be okay. Will I have a job when I graduate? Maybe. But I'm not gonna worry about that right now. That's but right. You're a
0: senior, right? Yes. Okay. Yes.
1: So you you really gotta pray hard these days, girl. <laughs> okay. Oh, yeah, I just got my first rejection today. So I was oh. like, oh man, but okay. my partner, rejection is normal. <laughs> yeah, my partner was like, Sarah, there's gonna be a lot of rejections before there's a yes, and then that yes is gonna be so sweet. And I'm like,
0: I know it is, but I don't yeah, know. You just yes. need one yes. That's mm-hmm. all. You just need yes. one. Exactly. Okay, so I gotta ask Pope Francis, yay, nay, why? Big yes to Pope
1: Francis. Um, one because I love his um, his attention to climate change. Mm-hmm. He's like a big proponent of protecting the environment and calling out like abusive environmental practices and pollution. And I was just like, oh my gosh up the pope talking about this talking about how industry is hurting the environment i've never heard that before uh one of his encyclicals which is like a big letter the pope writes was like
0: about the environment um but pope but Francis that was years ago that was like 2015 Yeah, that was, that was not during the pandemic, which is when you might expect possibly for something like that to be released. Nope, nope. He was ahead of the curve, at least as far as uh, popes go.
1: (laughs) Oh yeah. Pope Francis was very liberal compared to his, some of his predecessors, and he's gotten a lot of backlash for that. Like the things that he has said about the LGBTQ community, in which he says like, no, they belong in the church. They're welcome we're supposed to love them and some people are like nah gay people can't come to church and pope francis Mm -hmm. is like what do you mean some people can't come to church Mm -hmm. they love god what what do you mean and that's actually something we're talking about on our campus ministry um is because most a lot of vcu students um know people are members of the lgbtq plus community and we're not doing like anything right now to really reach them. We're not doing anything to support that community. Um, and that's something that I've been talking to my campus minister about and how we can support them. And one of the things that I've been learning, because I have my beliefs in that, and that, any everyone should be able to do what they love. And if they love God, that's awesome. If they don't, they should still be loved um, regardless. Mm-hmm. But the big thing that I've learned is that the church does accept people who are like, Gay and that kind of thing. There, there's no, it's not necessarily like being gay is a sin. They're, they're more focused on like homosexual acts are a sin, like That kind of thing. But there's like, they're they're like, there's nothing wrong with two women loving each other. There's nothing wrong with that. They just say that they're called a chastity. I don't quite agree with that position. Um, And, but I'm not a, I'm not a spokesperson for the church. Please do not get me excommunicated. (laughs) But I, I don't agree with that personally, but It's very different from what I was brought up around in which people would always quote Leviticus saying like, no, gay people are going to hell and they are sinners. They're not welcome, you can't talk to them.
0: Yeah, and like you mentioned before, that is another one of those hot button issues that becomes uh, something that will determine someone's vote, determine whether they think someone belongs or should belong to a certain church or, Mm -hmm. or a Christian organization. Uh, And there's a lot of hate and bullying surrounding uh, not just people who are gay, but people who love gay people. People who support them can also be bullied as allies.
1: (laughs) Oh, yes. Yes. Uh, I I got that a lot in some of my evangelical circles.
0: Yeah. And then they accuse you for being gay. Mm-hmm. Uh, not, not that that should be an accusation. <laughs> okay, I'm like, why is that a bad thing? Um, men kind of suck sometimes. So, <laughs> uh, okay. Well, actually, this segues well into my next question, and I will preface it a little bit um, for listeners who who tuned in to the Radio Free Brooklyn show. Uh, many of them know that I again, I'm not Catholic, but I did work for a Catholic weekly newspaper in Northern Virginia as an immigration reporter, and I also collaborate collaborated with different Catholic churches on uh, writing and photography projects, including one that led to my book, Hispanic and Latino Heritage in Virginia, which is still available from the History Press, y'all. You can still order it through their website and on Amazon and Barnes and Noble, blah, 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 blah. So as an outsider, as this like insider, outsider, <laughs> outsider, insider. Mm-hmm. I found that there are a lot of misconceptions about the Catholic faith, especially the differences between official church teachings, more conservative and progressive interpretations of those teachings. Like you mentioned before, some pastors will get really caught up in a single issue, yes. whereas another pastor will be like, "I, why are you focusing on that? Mm -hmm. Um, and then there's also, uh, what people who identify as Catholic, whether they are cradle Catholics or converts, what they believe versus what they actually practice. (laughs) So do you think, do you think all of these differences are true? Like how do they coexist? How would you explain or reconcile some of these differences, like what kind of disagreements do you find yourself having with other Catholics, even and especially Catholics your age? Because yes. you could argue, oh, generational differences, but especially with other Gen Z or younger millennials. Yes, that is
1: actually a very, very like raw question for me because I had this talk with my campus minister because um, I it was over pronouns because mm-hmm. I had asked all my small group leaders to ask the people in their small Bible studies what their pronouns were. And she like called me into her office and she was like, I don't know if we can do this as like mm-hmm. a part of the a, association with the Catholic church. And I was like, well, why? We're calling people by their name. Jesus says, I have called you by your name. You are mine. Mm-hmm. I'm, we're doing the same thing here. And um, she, was like, I, I was, she was like, Sarah, I was raised in West Virginia. I know very little about this. I I just need your help, and so trying to explain to her like I do all of these things out of love, and from what I can tell, her points of dissent were more, were like yes, I do love them, but at the same time, I want to make sure that I'm honoring what like the church and God teaches. So at the same time, every what everyone's trying to do is rooted in like a kind of love. Mm. And, and that's something that I have to keep going back to, but something that my priest told me was that the church has been broken from the beginning. Like <laughs> Judas Iscariot literally betrayed Jesus and got him killed. And Jesus, Judas Iscariot was one of the 12. He was one of Jesus' closest disciples. And so it's not un—it's nothing new for the church to have dissent and have things <laughs> go wrong in it. And it. But it's hard to see that when you care so much about something and you see people like saying things about like, about like LGBTQ issues or about like, um, like immigration or abortion. And you're just like, this hurts my heart because I want to serve those people. That's what Jesus calls us to do. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: But they'll always say like, but at the same time we have to honor what God says. And I'm like, but did God not also say that like our, our gospel is a gospel of love And they're like, there's a difference between loving people like as they are and like loving people for like who you want to make them out to be. And I'm Mm -hmm. like, Jesus tells us to come, come as you are. You don't have to change anything when you like come in devotion to him. And I think some people still get it in their head that you have to change yourself. And Christianity is not behavior therapy. If you want to get behavior therapy, you go to a behavior therapist, but that's not the point of religion. It's supposed to be an internal work for how to love others and to love God.
0: Ooh, I like that. Huh. Yeah, so there shouldn't be this expectation for perfection and all this strict conformity is the the big picture I'm getting from you. (laughs) Yeah,
1: I mean, that's my experience. Some people are like, no, if you disagree with the church, you're not a real Catholic. And I disagree with that opinion. I don't disagree with the church there's some things that I think will need to be evolved more. And people who say that the church doesn't change, I'm like, dude, are you saying we're still the same church that we were pre-Council of Trent? Like, <laughs> we were are you for real? Like, no, we're history, dude. <laughs> like, no, but the church is evolving. And I believe that dissent pushed towards that evolution. And that's what I'm going for. It's not necessarily a change. It's more like, we're going to open these ideas up even more to encompass and embrace the world that we're in.
0: Hmm. All right. Well put. Yeah. Yeah. I like what you're putting down. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Thank you, Sarah. That's all the time we have, folks. I'm trying not to talk forever with these things. Thanks for listening to the Badass Lady Folk podcast. I'm your host, Christine Sloan Stoddard. You can find out more about me at worldofchristinestoddard.com and more about Quail Bell Press and Productions at quailbell.com. I'll put both links in the show notes so I don't have to spell them out. And I will also put a link to a few of Sarah's writings in the show notes so you can read her work on Quail Bell Magazine. Thanks again, Sarah. Thanks again, listeners. Tune in next time.